This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, episode 19. This is Writing Excuses, creating structure on the fly. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Dan. And this was not done on the fly. <laughs> this is very, very rehearsed, this opening structure. It sure is. Wow, yeah. Well, let's talk just briefly about the difference between pantsing or discovery writing versus outline writing, just as a, a, a reminder. So who wants to cover that? Dan. Say I, got I, I got this. I got this. I wasn't uh, listening. Okay, <laughs> writing, from, writing from an outline. Yeah. Writing from an outline is when you discovery write your outline, and then you use your outline to write your story. And discovery writing or pantsing is when you dispense with that outline stage altogether and just go straight to prose on the page. Right. Yeah. It's and whether also, you want to front load your work or back load your work, because discovery writing usually uses more revision. Outline writing usually does a bunch of a little bit of that up front at yeah. least. And and really and I just wanna even though we've talked about this in other episodes, I just wanna remind people that it's a spectrum yeah. and that most people do both. It's mm-hmm. just yeah. it, they they sit at one end of the spectrum. Right. Or and it's not even a spectrum, it's more like a plane, three-dimensional yes, thing. Because really you're grabbing is. this tool here and that tool there and combining them in, in new ways. Today, I really want to talk at people who are discovery writing a piece. Um, most of this season of writing excuses is about structural stuff you do deliberately, often either after you finished your piece or before you're starting it. I want to talk today about while you're writing, how can you inject some structure? How do you decide what to do next? How do you fulfill promises and things like this? So I'll start with that first question. How do you decide where to go next when you can go anywhere with your story? So one of the ways that I decide is that I am, I, I go back to my, my mace quotient and I look at the things that I already have on the table in terms of plot threads. So if I'm doing a story that's primarily environment driven, uh, then I try to make sure that whatever conflicts that I'm introducing are environmentally based. If I'm doing something that's primarily uh, an ask answer where it's, it's driven by trying to find a question, then I try to throw in conflicts that are, I, I basically look at what is the smartest thing my character can do and then how does it fail? Okay. But I, I try to keep the how does it fail in that same plot thread line. So a character, you know, if they're if they're plagued with self doubt and they're trying to to feel better about themselves, they make it they make a choice. That choice doesn't work, and they, the self doubt is still there. So that's that's how I, I step through. Um, and I, I use something called yes, but no, and with that. But the the yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll in a minute. I think yeah, it's I really worth like pointing that. out that. Um, I mean, Mary, you have a million or more words of practice, at least, you know, under your belt. And so when you are discovery writing, a lot of these tools are very natural to you. It's the difference between the beginning golfer being told, okay, watch your grip, line up your shoulders, put your feet right, and the pro golfer who is doing all that naturally and, you know, swinging, swinging at the ball. One of the, one of the tools that I use is open and close parens. Mm. Um, when I am putting a thought down as I am writing, I will register, is this an open paren? Am I going to want to bracket this with a mirror later on? And I will ask myself that question. If the answer is no, then I forget I even asked the question because I don't have time to think about it. But if the answer is yes, 
then I am holding that flag in my head, and I will reach a point in my writing where I realize, oh, and here's where the, the closed parenthesis goes, and usually the closed parenthesis is a joke because it's, it's, you know, it's the setup for a punchline and then the, the close of a punchline. But it can also be a dramatic character moment. Mm-hmm. It can be something horrific. And, or it can be, you know, the concluding statement in a, in a movie review. Um, so I use that open-close a lot. That's cool. So most of my books have been heavily outlined, but uh, John Cleaver 1 and 5 were both discovery-written. And what I did with those and, and what those books share stylistically is that they're very focused on the banalities of John Cleaver's existence. You know, it's, well, now it's October, so it's cold and we have to rake leaves and we're going to have a Halloween party. And what comes next? Oh, well, there's Thanksgiving in November and things like that. And so the goal is just to describe his life and what it's like to be him. But then the trick, I guess is to take those banal scenes and make sure that they have a purpose. Because we don't want to just write a scene, they're eating dinner because that's what comes next in his day. No, if I'm going to write a dinner eating scene, what am I going to do with it? And so I will sit down and say, well, where am I going to go next? Well, he's got to go to school, right? Well, I better write a school scene. What is that going to reveal about him or about the world or about the other characters or about the conflict? And use that and then see what I can get up. Come can up I with. push you on that to say, please? how do you decide? Like, how do you decide what that scene needs? Um, Do you have any examples where you're like, I need a school scene. How did I decide what the school scene does? So, for example, um, and I'm not going to do school because I'm going to talk about John Cleaver 5, which that's the one where they're hitchhiking around. And I I purposefully went back to this kind of discovery right, the banalities of, of life, because I thought it fit well with this aimless hitchhiking idea. And so I had one scene where they started off in the morning and they were going to go to find one of the monsters they were hunting. But I wanted to put a scene in the middle that just showed them traveling because it's a book about travel. And at that point, I thought, well, they've got to do something while they travel. And what I decided there was I want this discussion to be about um, family relationships. And so it started off as a discussion of music, just an idle thing. We're walking. Let's talk. I don't know you very well because you're this random new person. Let, what kind of music do you like? And then kept angling that towards, well, John Cleaver likes the kinds of music that his dad liked because that's what he always used to listen to with his dad. And then let's probe deeper into that. And so using that as a way to discuss this kind of father-son relationship that's always in the back of the character, even though it never gets a lot of foreground, um, that's, I, I don't know if that's, I, right. if I properly no. told you how I decided to focus on that, but that's an example of what I will do. You know, it's hard to define these things sometimes because the more you write, the more you realize what you need to do, and your instincts will say there's a hole here. I haven't mm-hmm. touched on this plot. And it really is very similar to the way that I outline. A lot of people discovery write. What Howard said earlier, that outliners discovery write an outline and then use that as a model, it really is. And I've often talked about my outline method being, well, here are all my subplots. Let's grab a, some that I haven't done in a while and build a chapter out of it and then 
discovery write, how to make all of those elements fit in the chapter. Mm. When you're true discovery writing, you're just going along and your instincts say, oh, I need a character moment here. Who, what is, what is he working on? What's something in the setting that can actually prompt this? And then boom, this beautiful thing comes out where the character moves and grows and learns something. You're like, wow, they are now on another plateau that I can write them as for a while till they hit another moment and I can show them swinging up on it. Um, when you're uh, when you're discovery writing and you're trying to build these structures on the fly, uh, for me, it's I, I can't even start a discovery writing project without some idea of how big I want this to be, what kind of a story I want to tell. If you haven't if you haven't asked or answered those questions, it's perfectly fine to start writing and to figure that out as you go. Um, for me, however, uh, one of the decisions that I have to make when I reach these points, like Brandon described, um, is if I know that this is supposed to be short and I am halfway through it, I cannot introduce a new really important character at the halfway point. And so that structural decision, uh, that is a limitation that I place on myself. And so, I mean, I guess the whole point of what I'm trying to say right now is that uh, after about the one quarter mark, I run up against uh, structural limitations that I have programmed myself with. I can't tell this kind of a joke because it'll derail the plot. I can't introduce characters. Uh, I can introduce one more location, but it can't be the location that I just dreamed of because that is so cool. I want to write a whole story there. Um, And those sorts of decisions, yeah, list the length of my arm of things that I want to write, but I can't put in this story. Yeah, and this is one of the things that I see happen, and and certainly it happened with me with a lot of my early stuff, but with early career writers or with novelists who are trying to write short stories. Um, and and you look at me, and I look at Brandon. <laughs> um, but but the the one of the things about novels is that that you're writing for a sense of immersion, um, and with short stories, you know, you're going for a swift emotional punch. So one of the things that you can do in a novel because you have the space to explore it is you can raise the stakes by introducing a new conflict. And in short stories, you have to keep it much more tightly focused. So that thing that that Howard was talking about, as a discovery writer, knowing the approximate length you're going for will tell you whether or not this new nifty idea that you've had is one that you can indulge in or if it's something that you need to hold for a different a different story. A question we need to we stop get, here, though. Oh. We need to stop for Book of the Week. <laughs> but it's, it's not a book. It's not a book this time. Um, thank you, patrons on Patreon. Uh, we've been able to go ad-free and do a lot of cool things uh, this season. One of them is we can pick other stuff for our Book of the Week. Other stuff, other things. I'm going to promo <laughs> It doesn't have to be history. something from a yeah. sponsor. Yes. I'm going to promo Hardcore History, which uh, many of you probably already listened to because it is one of the premier podcasts. But in case you haven't discovered Hardcore History, it is the thing that best hybridizes, from what I've listened to, a, an audiobook and a podcast. It is like someone read a history book and is describing it to you in their own words. And they quote lots of primary sources and lots of other authors. Dan Carlin, the guy who, uh, who does it, claims to not be a historian. Uh, He's more like a journalist who reads a bunch of history books and presents for you the kind of layman's approach to deep warfare history topics. Um, I really enjoy it. He's not a historian, but in one of the early episodes, he talks about his 
uh, thesis yeah. for his history yeah, professor. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, okay, not a historian, <laughs> but a student of history with exactly. Mac chops. Um, and like a lot of podcasts, your enjoyment of it is going to depend a lot on what you think of his presentation style, because he has a very strong authorial voice. Um, I quickly got used to it and then came to really like it, but he really likes things to sound dramatic. Um, I'm going to point you toward two podcasts which are free on his website, um, either King of Kings or Wrath of the Khans. Uh, one is about the uh, Persians, one is about the Mongols, and these are each the first part of multi-part episodes that are each like three to four hours long. So in total, like 15 hours, which is why it feels more like an audiobook than anything else. But they are wonderful, lots of cool ideas for fantasy and science fiction writers. Um, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I would, my 13-year-old listened to uh, Kings of Kings uh, with me because we had it playing while I was doing some remodeling. Um, and I didn't realize he was listening along. And uh, when I stopped, he was like, I, I, I want to know what happens with Xerxes. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. That's right. It is Kings of Kings rather than yep. King of Kings, isn't it? All right. Let's go back to creating structure on the fly. What tools do you guys use, if any, to help you discovery write? You mentioned yes, yes but, but no and. Yes. Okay. So this is a tool that I've been using forever, and it's it's uh, it's it's coming kind of out of uh, out of theater. But the idea is that um, the story is made up of a series of questions. Of basically, the question is: Is your character going to succeed? That's that's your question going through the, the story. Um, yes, straight up yes is a happy ending. Straight up no, that's a tragedy. Um, and and either of those will end the story. So what you're looking at instead is that you answer every question with either a yes, but things get worse, or no, and things get worse. <laughs> you, you may notice there's a, a certain trend there. But this is, this is one of the things, uh, South Park uses a similar thing, which is that something happens with what consequence. Right. Uh, so basically what I do when I sit down to write is that, and, you know, I do discovery write sometimes. Um, is that I will say, okay, well, here's my character. This is their goal. What's the smartest thing they can do? Does it succeed? Yes, but... So let's take a really simple, stupid example. Um, You're in a room, okay? As we are now. You need to leave the room. What's the smartest thing you can do? Open the door. (laughs) Which I tried earlier, and it didn't didn't work. work. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Are you able to open the door? No. And And as a cartoonist, as a cartoonist, the most interesting scene for me to create is one or more of us deciding to go through the window. Yeah. Because, <laughs> and, and often for me, the tool is, what's the thing that this character would do that is going to be the most interesting for me to tell? And is there a way that that would make sense? You know, yeah. I have used this since you've talked about it in my writing classes a lot. I love it. When I've tried doing it myself, I find something happens, which is I do yes uh, or no, but, or no and, yes, but, no and for a little while, and then eventually hit on something really cool, and that becomes a larger structure for the Mm -hmm. story. And then I stop yes, butting, no anding, and saying, all right, this is our thing, and we are now going to use my traditional kind of plotting methods to say, okay, this is really cool. This grew out of this, this big problem. Now we're going to approach this from a more traditional three-act format 
attack this piece, which is still yes, but no, and I was going to say, but, I bet that if I went yeah. back and looked at it as mm-hmm. a diagnostic tool later, that I would yeah. be able to point out, yeah, but you're you're still using yes, but no, and even if even if you've hit a point that you are doing it instinctively right. rather than consciously. Any other tools you guys use? One of the things that I love to write uh, is is a moral compromise. And, you know, a character who is forced to do something that he or she would not otherwise want to do. And so I will often use that as a tool. Just because I know it's something I love to do is, okay, I don't know what comes next, so I'm going to force my character to make a choice. And we'll see how painful I can make that choice and just go for it. And that will often suggest consequences or it will suggest, you know, compromises and, and other things that come up and is, for me, a useful tool. Uh, the, I'm going to make up a word here, the micro tropes, uh, where for instance, um, you have a, you have a couple who is in love and getting along fine and there is a minor miscommunication and now there is conflict. Uh, just that little structure and a million things like it, uh, you know, little story pieces that I already know how to tell, and we've seen them in a million different stories. And when you anonymize them and file the serial numbers off, it starts to look really boring and like all the stories are the same. But knowing that these are things, often I will run into a point and realize, oh, these two characters are having a discussion and there is the opportunity for there to be this disagreement. And now I am in, uh, you know, relationship broken type 1A and that's what I'm going to write, only I have to make it interesting because, you know, we've got to put my serial numbers on it now. Uh, there's zillions of these, and often I've written many of them already, and as I run into them, I have to be willing to say, am I going to write this again? Because, you know, that's the easy way to do it. Well, it's a tiny piece, and the pieces that come after it can be completely different from the pieces that came after it the last time I did this. You know, we're running out of time, though I want to say... I'm glad you brought that up. It's a concept we've never approached on the podcast before because I found that as I write more and more, I check things off my list that I, I have done that. It's okay that uh, lots of other people have done it for me yeah. to do it. But now that I have done that, I need to push to something else just to keep myself engaged, not re-repeating myself. Um, we're going to end with some homework from Mary. Yes. Okay. So this is, um, this is how I will write sometimes. Um, and, and what I make my, my students do sometimes, too. Uh, I want you to grab a timer and I want you to set it for an hour and a half. You're going to write a story in an hour and a half. Ta-da! What I want you to do is I want you to pick a character, an object, and a genre. And I want there to be a problem that the character is having with the object. Start writing, yes, but, no, and your way through. And about 20 minutes before your time is up, I want you to work towards either a positive or negative state, that your character is either going to succeed or they're going to fail. And right. Well, that's our ending, isn't it? (laughs) Thank you guys for listening. This has been Writing Excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson.
If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.